Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hi everyone and welcome to the Stem Cells at Lunch Digested podcast. I'm Alice Vickers, I'm a PhD student in the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Today we're very lucky to be joined virtually by Professor Ludovic Vallier from the University of Cambridge. So Ludovic is Professor of Regenerative Medicine, affiliated to the Department of Surgery um, at Cambridge University and Director of the Cambridge Biomedical Research Centre Human-Induced Pluripotent Stem Cells Core Facility. Alongside these roles, he has been involved in the creation of several biotech companies, including Definigen and Billitech. And in May of this year, he was elected to the Fellowship of the Academy of Medical Sciences. So Ludovic, welcome to the podcast and thank you very much for joining us today. Um, please could you start off by telling us what the focus of your research is? Okay, thank you, Alice. Hi, everybody. So the focus of my research is, uh, in fact, to understand the basic molecular mechanism that control early differentiation during development, and especially in humans, and to use this basic knowledge basically to generate cell type with a clinical interest for cell-based therapy and uh, this modeling. And no, the, the, the main organ we are interested in is liver. And basically what we're trying to do is to use stem cells uh, and to understand the process of differentiation of those stem cells, especially human prepotent stem cells, into liver cells and then uh, generate uh, no, liver cells, hepatocyte and cholangiocyte for uh, modeling liver disease, uh, including no, um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, for example, and also try to develop new cell-based therapy against uh, no, this group of disorders. Amazing. So trying to understand normal human development and then applying that to understand what it goes wrong um, in certain diseases and developing new therapies. Stem cell therapies have obviously made a huge amount of progress um, in the last sort of 10 years or so um, and actually are now reaching the clinic. Um, but when do you think they'll actually be sort of widely adopted in the clinic? And what do you think are the biggest challenges um, facing that actually happening? Yeah, so, you know, um, human embryonic stem cells have been derived, you know, for the first time in 1998 by Jimmy Thompson. So we have been able to work on these cells for you know, the past 20 years. And as you said, uh, the cells are already reaching the clinic um, with you no know, multiple clinical trial uh, in North America, in Europe, and in, in Japan, especially with human-induced prepotent stem cells. So, um, no, it, it's. I like to compare often human ear cells and cell-based therapy to uh, organ transplantation. It took almost 40 to 50 years uh, for organ transplantation to be to enter our clinical practice. So, you know, 20 years is a very early step and that we are already in clinical trial now, uh, demonstrating that those cells are safe, that they can be useful, it's, it's quite impressive. So really, you know, I think that's, that's, it's a first step and the next 10 to 20 years, we're really going to start to see uh, human propellant stem cells become therapy and, and be used for a number of applications. Of course, it's not going to be the miracle solution for all the disease, but kind of, you know, for specific application, like for example, Parkinson or uh, even diabetes, I think, you know, human harmonic stem cells and human IPS have a, have a very strong potential. Mm, absolutely. And do you see there ever being um, the opportunity for a cell therapy to be kind of off the shelf, readily available, 
um, which would obviously dramatically reduce the time that it takes to develop them? Or do you think we'll have to go down this kind of personalized individual um, approach? No, I think no. The, the personalized individual approach is, is a, a bit far off now because of different technical challenges and, and uh, the costs involved in, in this kind of approach. I think clearly the future is to have you no know, uh, generic cell products that can be uh, frozen and used you know, in multiple centers and multiple locations uh, and production. Um, that, that's, that's definitely what the, the first step is. And um, yeah, I can see that, you know, for example, uh, again, no example on, in Parkinson or, or diabetes or even liver disease where people will you know, produce cells, frost stock of those cells, and then by clean or uh, uh, develop very easy way to inject those cells into patients uh, that doesn't require heavy surgery. So that's mean that, no, that's really the simplicity is key here. And um, personalized therapy will come at a later stage. And also, I think what is important that, of course, there is now you know, a lot of development on genome editing of, of human proponent stem cells, where people are directly deleting all the you know, antigen response and, and so on on the cells, all the HLA and all the, the class 2 and class 1. So a lot of the cells are directly, uh, you know, can, can be detected by the immune system. So again, you know, the, the direction is, is more towards generic cell products rather than, than personalized therapy, at least for, for the moment. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of universal cell that no matter what the mm. immune background of the recipient is, um, that, that cell will be accepted by them. Yeah, that, I think that's really exciting. And that kind of, I guess, leads on um, to my next question, which would be whether there are any new technologies or new developments that you think could really help advance the stem cell field. Are there any that you're excited by? as well as, yeah, these kind of new approaches to generating universal cells? No, I think there's plenty of uh, super exciting um, system. No, I think one of the key aspects is probably uh, you know, the development of new uh, bioengineering methods, uh, especially you know, new um, uh, bioproducts that can be used to uh, you know, model or mimic uh, young organ environment and built uh, you know, tissue in 3Ds. So that's that's super exciting, even if it's, you no know, again, something that is in development. Uh, there is also a, a clear and, and, and better understanding of the biology of the cells, which is key. And that's you no know, um, link with all the genome editing we can do now with CRISPR-Cas9 is, is extremely powerful. Uh, and Ultimately, you know, I think there is also a progress in the, um, in the, the industrialization process uh, to produce large-scale uh, you know, quantity of those cells, which have been incredible the past few years. So really, that's the combination of all that make, make the field extremely exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And that, um, because you've um, set up uh, biotech companies yourself from your own research. Um, so I'd love to hear about what those companies do and, and what motivated you to kind of go over to the commercial large-scale side of research? Yeah, so no, the, the material, I mean, I've always been interested by uh, industry and also I think, you know, um, industry is an extremely interesting way to uh, translate what you do in the lab and make it kind of, you know, um, can, can if, I don't like the word useful, but at least you know, make it something that should generate additional value than uh, basic knowledge. So basic knowledge is extremely important. No, I, I don't um, uh, criticize that, but I was just saying that you know, if you can add added value on on the basic knowledge you are generating, it's it's fantastic. And I think you know, commercialization and and um, 
transferring knowledge to industry is one way of, of translating your, your work. And so I've always been interested by that because simply, you know, um, I found that very exciting to have you know, a prototype in the lab and then have a product that is sold and useful for a broad number of other biotech and other labs and other other industrial partners. So that's that's you know, a very strong motivation. And by you know, over the years, um, we have developed a culture which is likely to uh, uh, always, when we develop a basic research project, try to um, basically imagine what could be the, the application. You know, always thinking, okay, we trying to generate uh, basic knowledge, understanding, uh, for example, a signaling pathway that is important for self-renewal. But can we, for example, uh, use this knowledge to generate something that could interest industry? And for example, it could be uh, developing a new culture media or a or, or new culture system to grow and differentiate cells. So we always had this culture and all over the years. And so because of that, we have generated a lot of intellectual property. So no, uh, I think we have around 13 or 14 uh, patents or at least patenting process to be uh, you know, published. And you no, know, um, we quickly realized that by, you know, to really extract the most benefit from this intellectual property, it was to create companies. Because a lot of the work we do, even if you know we try to translate it, it it's very difficult for pharmaceutical companies or, or biotech to take this knowledge and make it uh, you know, beneficial for them because it's too technically challenging. And so what we decided to do is basically put an intermediate step, um, which is creating biotech company that explode those patents and this uh, technology and this intellectual property and basically sell this this you know, um products and you know, transform all these intellectual property into products that can be sell them to, to pharmaceutical companies and, and, and other biotech. And uh, you know, that, that has been really refreshing because uh, the industry world and the, the biotech world is extremely dynamic. Uh, you know, it's very easy to work with them uh, and you know, it's, it's very fast. And I had also a lot of chance to uh, you know, basically uh, meet people that were extremely full. For example, in Definigen, you know, uh, we uh, established a very strong partnership with the, the CEO of the company, uh, Marcus Hill, and that you know, allow, did allow us to develop the company and, and have a lot of fun at the end. So that, that's, not, that's, that's the explanation, if you mean, of, of all this motivation. But clearly, you know, the drive is to see what is produced in the lab uh, out there and, and become useful to others. And sometimes you know, the best way to do that is, is to commercialize it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think it's really interesting that um, you kind of describe it as a, a cultural mindset of, you know, seeing the looking at your research and seeing the opportunity to commercialize it at, you know, any possible stage. I think that's actually quite um, unique in academia and I think it is is gradually changing and becoming more common. Um, but how have yeah. you kind of balanced your time because obviously you've got a lot of academic responsibilities mm -hmm. as well as um the the companies as well so yeah i imagine that's a lot to juggle so how do you balance that yeah no that, that's it's a, it's a lot of work there's no mystery you know it's uh it's taking a lot of time um and so i've, I've really a uh, short night most of the time <laughs> but more seriously i think you know the, the key here is 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 to find uh, people you can trust and you can work with. And as I say, you know, for Definigen, we, we, you know, I, I was able to work with Marcus, the CEO. Um, the same with other activity, you know, 
in, in my lab and elsewhere is likely to be able to find people that and share responsibility and 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 share you know, um, all the the activity uh, or, I mean all the different activities so that's really important which allow me to you know to do multiple things at the same time um, and and that that's the key bike right, is to be able to to work out with the right people and I, I think again no um, we, I've been very lucky Cambridge is also you know, providing a, a unique environment for that so that that's very useful yeah absolutely and um and, you know obviously you've um got a lot of accolades to your name already but is there anything that you're hoping to achieve in the next say 10 years of your career um so I, yeah that's that's an interesting question no i, I think there's no, the, the the really the drive at the end of the day is to generate more knowledge. So I'm I'm always excited to publish, to generate more data and and generate more knowledge. No, that that's the key, and I will be happy with that. But um, no, an objective would be of course one one day to see um, something generated from my lab directly benefit patients. No, except therapy uh, as application that that will be really uh, I think a, a massive achievement. And no, that. That's that's something that is 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 no an objective, but not the drive at the end. No, I think that's important. The drive is really to generate knowledge, and if we can again make this knowledge useful and ultimately you know, useful for people directly, that that's that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's something that is sort of that's an ambition that's never completed. So <laughs> that will certainly yeah keep you busy. Um, and obviously, we are recording this during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and so, you know, I'd be interested to hear how you found the lockdown period. Um, it's obviously been very um, individual to everyone, depending on, you know, what work they do, their kind of, um, yeah, their sort of situation that they're in. Um, so how have you found it? How has it affected your your work in the short term? And then do you think there'll be any longer term impacts on science, um, both in academia and in industry as well? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's been a, a complicated uh, time. OK, uh, of course, we closed the lab. We went in lockdown. I mean, part of the lab no, uh, was working on COVID-19 research. So a few people stayed, stayed in the lab and, and did some work on, on COVID-19. But most of the team was at home. I think, you know, I have to thank them all because they did an incredible job trying to be productive in those difficult conditions. And you know, we were very lucky. We gained new skills. We wrote a lot of papers, uh, you know, a few grants. And, and that's, you no, know, has been inc inc incredible, but very, very complicated because, of course, you no, know, we all have childcare. It's, you know, it's very challenging time for a lot of people. And um, so, no, that, that I think that's that's very clear that, uh, no, it has put a huge strain on, on everybody. And I think, no, we, we just came back to the lab last week and we are very happy with that because a bit of normality is, is good. Um, and, and no, in the, in the short term, it's clear that the impact is going to the fact that we lost time and, and experimental time and that, no, we now back, we now back at some level of, of, no, occupancy but it's very low and it's going to be very slow to restart it's going to take a lot of time there's a lot of uncertainty also because we not, don't know what will happen with the planning and so that the the, the 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 first impact is going to be a loss of productivity but again no I, th I think we did a very good job try to minimize that the past few months and my team has been fantastic for that um the long term is more concerned i have to say now and i think that any uh, i think leader in research now will know that uh the economic impact that we're going to see is going to affect everybody in research. 
And there is, uh, I think, a, a very, very big concern in terms of funding for the next few years. And uh, no, the university have been um, badly affected. Uh, there's little visibility on, on, on those aspects combined with Brexit. That's uh, uh, really could be catastrophic. So that, that's the main concern now is, oh, you know, uh, we'll be able to support uh, research and our people in the next, uh, in the next uh, few years, the time that the whole economy recovers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then I guess, you know, on the on the flip side of this um, pandemic, it has exemplified the importance of scientific research. And a lot of really valuable research into COVID is coming from academia, and, you know, the vaccine development as well. So hopefully, you know, it will kind of prove its worth going forward. And, and it will kind of, yeah, strengthen research for the future. Uh, that, that's that's a very good point. No, I, I agree that uh, research is part of the solution, but I think what uh, the current crisis have demonstrated is that you no know, science in time of crisis is complicated. Uh, no, we have been uh, no, it's been very complicated to research. Uh, it's been a lot of stress, a lot of stress on the system, and at the end of the day, I think what we see now is that it's, the solution is is not only science; it's leadership. And, and really the key problem you know, is question of leadership. And at the end of the day, you can have the best science, but if you, know, you need the right leaders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you very much for your time uh, and talking to us today. Um, we're really excited to hear your seminar um, coming up. Thank you. Um, and all the best with your research and stay safe during this time. Great, thank you very much. Thank, thank you very much you. for your time and for the question. I really enjoyed it.